Hello, welcome to Slumber Party Cinema Club, a podcast for the movies that you've seen a thousand times and the silly and serious conversations they start. I am one of your hosts, Katie. And I'm your other host, Kate. And today, when we're recording, not when you're listening to this, but when we're recording, it's Groundhog's Day. Oh, feels like deja vu all over again. (laughs) Didn't you just say that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did look up, I don't know if you've looked this up, Kate, but I did see that uh, old Punxsutawney Phil predicted there would be an early spring. So that's good news. You know, uh, he's not exactly reliable, but I'll still take that little glimmer of hope today. Um, I learned for the first time ever that uh, Punxsutawney Phil lives in a place called Gobbler's Knob, and that just feels really dirty. It was kind of the thing that brought me joy this morning. (laughs) It yeah, it does sound very dirty. <laughs> yeah. I also learned a fun fact today that's not dirty. We've been sort of celebrating Groundhog's Day as is for about a little over a hundred years now. Mm-hmm. And I when I say we, I mean us Americans. And he's only predicted early spring like 20 times. Wow. And a hundred years. So pretty much like bottom line is that Punxsutawney Phil likes to sleep in and this is a whole thing where we just disturb him and then he wants to go back to bed. Yeah. Well, if you've ever seen, there's a Rankin Bass movie. I think it's like Jack Frost or whatever he has mm-hmm. like, or or I maybe it's just the movie that Jack Frost is in and I don't remember the actual name in it, of it because I was watching it a little bit. He has like um, a racket going with Jack Frost where he always says that there's going to be six more weeks of winter. So that way Jack Frost gets to like play around for another six weeks. So it's rigged. (laughs) It's rigged. There's money being passed under the table. Yeah. But I guess this year Jack Frost couldn't pay up because this year it's early spring. Either that or the leprechauns or whatever the symbol of spring is just had more funds to uh, bribe the groundhog. (laughs) So I texted you a couple days ago telling you that I had a story to tell you and I didn't want to forget about it. Yes. Having to do with one of the films that we covered last last year. Last last year. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say last month, but that's not true either. Um, Love Actually. Yes. So... Uh, rolling it back to love, actually. Do you remember? So Bill Nye's character is competing against a band called Blue mm-hmm. in that movie for like the Christmas number one spot. And I guess first question, did you know that Blue is an actual real life boy band? I did not know that. I didn't I either. It was like a boy band, but they gave them a different name for the movie. Yeah, no, I didn't either. But they are an actual real life boy band. And I I learned this while watching some like YouTube music compilations that were like 20 songs or like not 20 songs, but like 100 songs turning 20 this year, you know, stuff like that. And Blue was on there a couple of times and I was like, oh, hey, I never realized that they were an actual band. And, mm-hmm. and, and I thought that was weird because even one hit wonder boy bands that maybe crossed over from Europe or Britain, I feel like I knew about because I at least knew like one of their songs that had been a crossover hit in the States. And I I was actually like the couple like samples of songs that I heard on the video compilations. I was like, oh, I kind of want to go on Spotify and like listen to them because they're, you know, decent. It's it's like listening to NSYNC or Backstreet Boys. I was yeah, like, whatever. Yeah. So I was listening to them the other day, and I decided to look up their Wikipedia page mm-hmm. and got a little history lesson about, I was like, you know, why, why didn't they cross over to the U.S.? Here's, here's Spill the, the tea. On that. Spill the tea on this boy <laughs> band that was prominently <laughs> featured in Love Actually, but no longer exists. <laughs> here's the skinny on that. In May 2001, they released their first single. It goes to the charts at number, the U.K. single charts at number four. Mm-hmm. August 2001 they released their second single it hits number one so right after that the whole band travels to new york city to film a music video again this is like august september 2001 you probably see where i'm going with this while they were there they actually witnessed the attacks on the world trade center wow 
they were in New York during this. So the following month, uh, the band was being interviewed by The Sun, which is like a British newspaper. If you follow gossip stuff, you... A notorious. Yeah, it's it's not a good newspaper. It's not a good, <laughs> it's not a good institution, no. However, so they're being interviewed by The Sun like a month later after the World Trade Center attacks. And one of the band members, Lee Ryan, uh, commented that, quote, this New York thing is being blown out of proportion. Oh, geez. And then he added, quote, what about whales? They're ignoring animals that are more important. Animals need saving. And that's more important. Oh, so the, the rest of the band's trying to get him to shut up, but he just kept running his mouth. And that caused them to lose their record deal in the States. Hey, you know, they say cancel culture is this new thing. No, it's not. And it's also called accountability for your dumb shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was definitely like a very, because if you remember back at that time, like uh, the chicks, formerly known as the Dixie chicks, like they were kind of vocal about the decisions that George Bush was making in reaction to the 9-11 attacks, which were Mm -hmm. valid. And mm-hmm. they got slammed for it. I mean, no, they got death threats. Yeah, this guy, this guy saying that, uh, you know, whales are more important than um, people dying in the horrible World Trade Center attacks is a little off color. But yeah, it gets even better because I immediately was like, oh, I bet this is the type of guy where if he was American, he would be like an all lives matter type dude. Mm hmm. Which is funny because then I spotted a recent news article about him in The Guardian. And this is from September of last year. Mm-hmm. And it said, Blues, Lee Ryan avoids jail for drunkenly assaulting black flight attendant. Oh, hey. <laughs> uh, gets worse. Oh, no. boy, <laughs> boy band singer who told the woman he wanted her, quote, chocolate children given 12 months suspended sentence. Wow. Yeah. And like he was essentially describing her as like beautiful for a black person and was basically sexually harassing her. And he said to her, quote, you're my chocolate darling, my chocolate cookie. I'm going to have your chocolate children. So, yeah, good, good times. (laughs) This was just going to make me root even harder for Bill Nye's character in that movie now. (laughs) Right. That I mean, that like 15 minutes of me falling down an Internet rabbit hole was just surprise after surprise. <laughs> but I had to share. So I was going nuts. Anyways, today is Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Um, We're still in the beginning of a new year, which really, upon reflection, I think today's film is the perfect film to be talking about at the beginning of a new year when we're all sort of in that new year, new me, make life changes sort of mood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so today we are talking about... A movie that if you see it in Sweden, the title translates to Monday the entire week. <laughs> and doesn't it always feel like that? <laughs> Definitely felt like it this week. Uh, no, we're talking about 1993's Groundhog Day. Yes, I was in kindergarten in 1993. I was two. You were I was also in the age two. Not oh, okay. Like I was like I was two years old. <laughs> I was like, no, you were not in kindergarten in 1993. <laughs> if I was in kindergarten in 1993, and I do remember, I this movie was like a PG rating because I remember reading that. So it was directed by Harold Ramis mm-hmm. of Ghostbusters fame. Yes. Yes. Great director, great comedy director. He wanted to make like a film that was good for families. So he did a lot to sort of walk this movie back and make get it a PG rating, even though there's some questionable. It's, it's a, it's a edge of PG movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely saw it when I was young. It feels like it feels like uh and even though it was 1993 it feels like a night one of those 80s movies that was rated PG even though it absolutely shouldn't have been but there was nothing in between PG and R so they went with the lower rating. Yeah, exactly. Like it sort of just got the rating by default. Mhm. But I love this movie and I actually rewatched it again last night cuz it had been a while and I was like, well, if we're going to talk about it, let me refresh my memory. Still great. Still still one of those movies that 
provokes new thoughts and observations every time I watch it. Yeah, I didn't see it until I had just graduated from college and I went down to St. Louis to hang out with a bunch of my friends from college because um, I was in the middle of job hunting and stuff. So I ended up flying down there and spending the weekend at my friend Dan's place with my other friend Ryan. And then Hannah came in out once in a while. Um, but it was like we had gone out drinking the night before, woke up in the morning and sat and this t- this was on TV. So we watched Groundhog's Day with commercials. <laughs> um, and that was my first time ever seeing this movie. So PG, meaning that it can run on TV unedited, mm-hmm. which is good because I never like seeing a movie edited for the first time. And so we watched it and I remember it ended and then we went straight into Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And we had our own Groundhog's Day kind of situation because Forgetting Sarah Marshall was on, like they did a marathon. They just ran it three times in a row. And I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure we watched it all three times. (laughs) Just stayed there. and There was no weed involved, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a lazy day where you don't have to think about what you're going to pick to watch. Pretty much. It was like, well, we don't have to be anywhere until nine o'clock tonight, so... Either we can sit by the pool or sit here and and watch this movie again. And that's why I never need to see Forgetting Sarah Marshall ever again in my life. (laughs) So, yeah, Groundhog's Day uh, came out in 1993. If you haven't seen it, it's about a narcissistic, self-centered weatherman played by Bill Murray, who finds himself trapped in a tie-in loop on February 2nd, Groundhog's Day. Um, And it stars, of course, Bill Murray, Andy McDowell. Chris Elliott, who if you've never seen him in anything else, you would know him from Schitt's Creek. Mm-hmm. He um, also played uh, one of the in-laws, like the brother-in-law in uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, also Stephen Toblowski. And then just a entire cast of familiar faces. Yeah, Willie Carson, may he rest in peace. Um, yeah. He plays the assistant. He plays Phil's assistant, Kenny. Um, And this was also Michael Shannon's first movie. Yes, which I literally did not know until last night. I saw his name in the opening credits and I was like, Michael Shannon? I didn't know he was in this. And then Kyle came and sat down and watched it with me. And the part where he shows up, Kyle goes, there's Michael Shannon. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's him. (laughs) He's so young. Look how I was going to say he doesn't look as bedraggled and and crazy as he does now. Right. (laughs) Like, No, he's he's a cute guy. I was like, where? Why was he not in like John Hughes movies playing some sort of heartthrob? Because he was real, real good looking. I think it comes down to Michael Shannon didn't want to. Uh, Yeah, that's probably true. Michael Shannon doesn't (laughs) seem to be the type of person to do anything he doesn't want to do. That's very true. Yeah, like he he, handsome, handsome guy. I I I still think he's a pretty handsome guy in like a different sort of way. But yeah, the this movie I noticed when I was doing a little bit of research is sort of classified as a rom com, and we all know I get touchy about things that are classified as a rom com. I would just say this is just like a straight up comedy. Like there's romance in it. I don't really think it's necessarily the main part of the story. Yeah, I would agree with that. Also, I know like the original, the writer of the script or the original script said that the final cut of the movie included a lot more romance than he originally Mm -hmm. wanted or intended. I guess he learned that when you sell a script in Hollywood, sometimes it just gets ripped to shreds and you don't necessarily recognize your original work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, um, it, you know, you could go through the rewrites and stuff. That was the the screenwriter you're talking about is uh, Danny Rubin, right? Yeah, he was like, I'm very comfortable now because this movie, uh, selling this script essentially allowed me to like not have to worry about money again. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I sort of have regrets for the fact that like, it's not what I intended, which I think is crazy. I think it's a great movie. But I would agree with you that it's not a, a, rom- a rom-com because, like, the main point of the movie is not to get him attached to Rita. Like, that's, it sort of happens as a byproduct. Mm-hmm. But, like, the focus of the movie is he's just trying to get out of this time loop. Right. It's sort of, it's got a little bit of a, um, like, a Christmas Carol, like, Ebenezer Scrooge sort of morality tale to it, which is interesting because 
Bill Murray also starred in the movie Scrooge, which was a mm-hmm. modern take on A Christmas Carol, which is another movie I love. It was yeah, like, I, around the same time too, wasn't it? Um, I forget when Scrooge came out. I think I feel like Scrooge was earlier. Yeah, Scrooge was 1988. So yeah, you know, so that was about five later. years before this. Yeah. The reason I was sort of saying that I feel like it's a perfect movie to watch at the beginning of the year is because it's like insanely philosophical a lot of the story like you know I say I watched this when I was a kid and like when I was a kid you know this was just like a funny movie about a guy who gets stuck in a time loop and then he's like falling in love with this woman and becoming a better person and you know I'm laughing at all the parts where he's trying to kill himself because I think it's funny I'm a dark child (laughs) (laughs) let's be real though that that part is funny (laughs) it is funny god we were cracking up at it at it again last night um and apparently it could have been way darker i guess in the original cut of the movie or the original conception but they toned it down a little but no it there's a lot of exploration in this movie of like philosophy and like sort of buddhist ideals and beliefs and sort of like the meaning and purpose of life mm-hmm. which i think is something that all of us think about at least from time to time, but a lot when New Year comes around. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. And especially like right now, because like the newness is starting to wear off. We are now officially a 12th of the way through. So like it is like now it's it's that time where it's like, OK, like, am I going to recommit or am I going to change my plan or am I just going to try again next year? Mm-hmm. There's uh, a line I caught last night that I got I probably wouldn't have caught and sort of um, hung on to until I was, you know, a 30 year old plus adult where Bill Murray is sitting with two of the guys two of the townies and they're all drinking. And he's saying, like, what if you were living just the same day over and over and over again and nothing you did matters? I'm paraphrasing a little. Mm -hmm. And one of the men answers, well, that about sums it up for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, damn, if life doesn't feel like that, especially as an adult sometimes where it's like you're just, um, you know, getting up, going to work, working, you know, your eight hour job or whatever, coming home. Sometimes you're on autopilot where you're just like cooking dinner or eating dinner and then you go and you watch the TV and then you go to bed and then you get up the next morning and it's the same day. And I would say also, you know, that's a victim of one of our least favorite things, capitalism. So (laughs) I would say this movie is also anti-capitalist. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like, I don't know, that's kind of where I'm feeling right now. I feel like watching everything that's going on in the world and I just get up and I do my job and I do my homework for school and maybe I go out with friends, but in the end of the day, like nothing I do has much of an impact. So yeah, it's, we get sort of like stuck and it, I don't know if it's finding a way to be satisfied with that or doing like what Phil does, which is figure out a way to use this day to his, the best of his ability to like save people's lives, <laughs> learn yeah. how to play the piano. <laughs> well, and I would say by the end, it's like sort of, you know, he lives in this small he ends up in this small eco sphere of Punxsutawney, Philadelphia. And like everything that he's doing and learns to do has like a big impact on the lives of like people there. He saves a guy from choking. He changes a flat tire for a bunch of old ladies. You know, he brings joy to people by like learning to play the piano or, you know, just talking with them, being friends with them. So it's like, I guess a good message when things become overwhelming, because like you said, right now, things can feel very, you know, the world's burning down. There's like war and all this like disagreement over Israel and Palestine and, you know, elections coming up. Oh God. And what can I even do about all that? I'm one person, but it's like, you're one person who can do things for like the people in your family, your friend group, your community, Mm -hmm. you know, and those, you never know what kind of huge impact you're having on someone's life, even though it feels small. Yeah. This will be my PSA for everyone. If you feel like you want to do something about those larger issues, get involved on the small scale, like get involved in like your community politics or volunteering. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because that really, it makes a huge difference. You have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Go um, look up like she should run. That's a great resource mm-hmm. for um, different, you know, ways to get involved in, in the government um, for where you live, because, you know, as much like, I don't know, a great example is just looking at the Chicago um, the Chicago government system that just declared uh, support for a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it we're the first big city to do so, um, which I, you know, stab of pride. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like it's uh, even, even, uh, even that has, has something. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it happened because of all of like the wards, people in the wards getting together and, mm-hmm speaking out and getting active and like you know that's something that anyone can do that's a mm-hmm. it's it, an incredibly seemingly small thing yeah um but so phil does end up in a good place he fucking figures it out he but figures he has, it out. <laughs> by the end he's like i'm going to start living a life of like service and stop being an asshole but it doesn't start that way no no he's very much i mean he's like essentially saying i'm leaving this job soon anyway i don't care because he's like i'm made for greater things like he mm-hmm. doesn't want to be like a local weatherman he wants to move on to like a national station he has mm-hmm. bigger dreams i i was like that a lot in high school i was like i don't give a fuck about this place like i'm getting out of it, my small town these small town people like fuck all y'all <laughs> well and in some situations good that's good like you yeah. need to have that light at the end of the tunnel to get through things or have a have a goal that you can work toward that makes you know the day in day out a little bit more bearable or at least make you feel like you're making progress. Yeah, um, for sure. I think but when you start making it your personality and I think that's the thing. Like in the beginning of this like it's his entire personality is someone who has such disdain for the people around him. <laughs> Mm -hmm. exactly and i also think like when you think that it makes you better than everyone else Mm -hmm. i know i definitely had that attitude i was like a fucking snot when i was like you know 18 19 (laughs) years old but yeah he also um so like when he first kind of figures out like oh i'm living through the same day over and over again and like he's having that conversation with those two guys and they're all drinking together and he sort of realizes that I can do anything I want and there's no consequences Mm -hmm. and like you know we we see the exploration of you know stuff like that all the time I see it on reddit all the time where you know someone will start a thread that's like if you could do anything for 24 hours and you know, not no consequences. What would you do? Or like movies like The Purge, where it's like everything is legal for 24 hours. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, those movies start with murder, which, you know, personally, I would start with robbery, probably, <laughs> if I'm being honest. But yeah, he starts doing the I can do whatever I want because there are no consequences. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that everybody kind of like fantasizes about a little bit, maybe not in like a sinister way where it's like, I'm going to go and stab a bunch of people. (laughs) Yeah. But I think like one of the first things he does, doesn't he go to a pastry shop and just like binge eat. Right. So like Mm -hmm. it's really exploration of the vices. Yeah. Or then like, he's not going around. He's not ax murdering people in the town for fun. Like he's going and eating cake, which apparently Bill Murray was offered like a spit bucket when they were doing that scene and he declined. He was like, no, I'll just eat all of this. And like by the end, the angel food cake like really got him. Yeah, it, you think it's going to be a good idea. And then you do like 87 takes. He eats a bunch of stuff. I know he like robs, not a bank, but like a one of those like security deposit trucks. He does the the very first one he does is where he's like speeding and avoiding, you know, the police and stuff. Which, oh my gosh, can I tell you the story? So you know that part where he... They're, like, speeding around. He, like, hits a mailbox, and then they finally, like, crash the car. Mm-hmm. The police officer comes up to his window, and he basically makes, like, a like a fast food order. He's like, oh, I'll have, you know, cheeseburger, fries, uh, no onions, and, uh, oh, and some flapjacks, <laughs> which is, like, I think, like, a, a, a shecky bit, like, an ode to, like, a shecky bit. But, yeah. Uh, um, but I have a real-life story where something like that happened. <laughs> 
um, when I was young, my aunt and uncle were visiting from Wisconsin to Florida and we took them to Disney for a day. Um, and my uncle Bob was in a wheelchair at the time. So I was super excited because him being in a wheelchair got mean meant that we got to like skip all the lines. Oh yeah. Um, but so in fact, I've we, heard that rich people are starting to hire kids in wheelchairs so that they can skip the lines. Yeah. I've heard that too. Like, mm-hmm. cause I heard you don't necessarily definitely get to skip lines anymore, mm-hmm. but that was like a few years ago because of that reason though. Yeah. But anyway, this was the nineties before people were doing fucked up shit like that. <laughs> right. Or at least before uh, their fucked up shit was getting on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were doing different fucked up shit. But anyway, so my uncle Bob was in a wheelchair. And I think we were at Epcot. Um, There was like a big hill and we're all standing there talking. My aunt Sandy has her hands on Bob's wheelchair and then she lets go and she turns around. She's talking to my mom or something and he starts to roll backwards. He's going, Sandy, Sandy, like (laughs) trying to get her attention. She's oblivious. He rolls all the way down backwards down the hill and crashes into like one of the uh like soda kiosks like drink oh, kiosks no. and he just goes i'll have one coke please <laughs> he was not hurt everything i was, was gonna fun. say I, i'm assuming he was okay <laughs> no he was okay but hilarious i love that story that's amazing i yeah it's it's like I don't know. I like the fact that he starts off just like stretching the limits and doing things. Like you said, like if you could do something and have no consequences for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he starts like, I like that he starts figuring out that like he can circumvent consequences of other things. So like mm-hmm. catching the kid that falls out of the tree or, you know, bringing the elderly man to the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he does, you know, he starts to figure out he does have an impact. Like you said, uh, you know, it's an impact on a s- smaller scale. Mm-hmm. I like, I think the the part with like where he's trying to save the homeless old man is important and interesting. Because I was thinking about last night, I was talking to Kyle while we were watching the movie. And I was like, I feel like part of that is like a metaphor for... Sometimes you can try your best and things don't work out. You can't make a change Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to accept it. And like the other part of it was like a metaphor for things that you've already done that you can't avoid the consequences of. I don't Mm. know if that makes sense, but like, you know, other people like his that like the old man's death wasn't necessarily like the fault of phil because it's like even even on the mornings that like he gave him money that morning or took him out for food or whatever like the old man still died maybe if somebody had stopped and done something like five years ago it could have changed the trajectory of his life yeah which sometimes like leads into an anxious place where it's like oh my gosh if i don't do something like right now what if that person dies next year (laughs) you know (laughs) it can get overwhelming yeah, if you spiral that way, but I think if you don't spiral that way, if you go the other way and it's like, I had like, it's almost freeing mm-hmm. to just be like, some things are out of my control. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes me think of um, in the Charlie Brown musical. I don't know if you've ever seen that. There's there's a song and I can't think of what it's called, but it's just talking about like the phrase, like live each day like it's your last Mm-hmm. And some people like would interpret that as grab every opportunity, seize the moment, don't say no, you know, take advantage of, you know, every moment you have alive. And other people would see it like, oh my God, it's my last day. Like start freaking out. Like, what do I do? Like, can I prevent this? Like, okay, what's the first thing I want to do? I can't do everything. Like, you know, and it would make them anxious and like, mm-hmm overthinking it and scared it's a song it's like a I think it's like a Sally and Charlie Brown song and Sally is obviously the optimist in that <laughs> in that scenario obviously. Charlie Brown is Charlie the, Brown's the perpetual pessimist yeah. yeah one thing I was reading about this movie that I never really uh thought about before is that Phil kind of goes through like the five stages of grief mm-hmm. denial bargaining anger depression acceptance Mm-hmm. I think I got that in the right order. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. In fact, I think that that's really, that's a really good observation. It gives, 
it gives more structure because I think they said like someone did the math and they figured out that Phil spends about eight years mm-hmm. living this day over and over again. I think a lesser screenwriter would have gone like it's it's still a very funny movie, but I think a lesser screenwriter would have like probably skipped that philosophical. I think everything like a lesser screenwriter would have been less philosophical about the whole thing. And just this guy lives every day. And the whole point is to, you know, get Rita to fall in love with him because that's what's going to break the spell. And I Mm -hmm. love the fact that and going back to your comment about this is not a romantic comedy. It's just a comedy with a romance element. Rita falling in love with him is truly not what breaks the spell. Yeah. Even though that's when you, you know, because like it starts to snow and that's like the sign that the time loop's broken. Similar to like um, It's a Wonderful Life. It starts to snow when he's back in in the the real world instead of uh-huh. the world where he doesn't exist um snow is usually used as a way of showing that something's broken or you know like the spell is broken i never noticed that before yeah um wizard of oz it snows on them to wake them up from the poppy spell yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's like it's kind of an interesting you know way that we codify things but um it, it happens when rita kisses him but it's not because rita kisses him Mm-hmm. But I do like the fact that originally they thought that it would end with Rita getting stuck in her own time loop. Oh, really? I've never heard of that. Yeah, that was originally one of their thoughts was that it would he would wake up out of his time loop and Rita would be stuck in her own. Uh, like the next day? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. That, like, it doesn't make sense to me for the reason. It's like, why did Rita get stuck in a time loop? Yeah, because Rita's it, it a seemed- lovely person. She. Yeah, it seems like the time loop is a form of, like, punishment for him. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, it's that morality play kind of feel, um, like Christmas Carol. Yeah, you better yeah. act right or ghosts are going to come get you and tell you what's wrong. <laughs> well, and and speaking of the fact that Phil is an asshole um, in this movie at the beginning, and, you know, he becomes better. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I guess there are a lot of different people they thought of playing uh phil in the movie originally they wanted tom hanks but they were like tom hanks is too nice no one would buy him being this kind of guy so that that went sideways and then i guess they also this one kind of made me laugh they also looked at chevy chase and also decided that he was just not yeah see he's enough of an asshole and i'm like "Mm, but chevy chase is an asshole in real life he's definitely an asshole in real life and like Upon further examination, like, you know, one of his big roles back in the day, Clark Griswold. Clark Griswold's kind of an asshole. Yeah, which maybe that was maybe truly like that was the the reason because like they probably didn't want to conflate it too much. Steve Martin was also considered, which he played, you know, he had just been in The Jerk. So like he could have done it too. Robin Williams was in there. I wouldn't have bought that for a minute. Michael Keaton. I'm not sure how that would have looked. And John Travolta. So these were all people that they just deemed too too nice compared to Bill Murray. I, I would say some of those people seem very nice. Mm-hmm. Others, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, Bill Murray is also really good at playing like a sarcastic jerk who is also charming. Yes. Like that's he really he is a sarcastic jerk who's also charming. That's true. I was going to say that. And that's just a role that he plays over and over again. Yeah. Like Bill Murray is yeah. not a great actor. He's just really good at being that one thing that fits in so many places. Yeah, exactly. So you and I, one of the things we were texting last night was sort of one of uh, a person that we have to thank for the inspiration behind this story. Yeah, uh, believe it or not, this connects to one of the episodes we did a while ago on Interview with the Vampire. So um, we have Anne Rice to thank for this movie. (laughs) Was it like the screenwriter? Yeah, uh, the the screenwriter. Um, he was working on stuff, and he was told he needed to have a calling card screenplay that he that would get him into the door. Mm-hmm. And so he worked on. He was reading the Vampire Lestat, and he started contemplating what immortality would be like, and that's where this came from. Mm-hmm. So thank you to Danny Rubin picking up an Anne Rice book because that's how we got. We got Groundhog Day. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you could live forever, what would you do with your time? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's a good question. Katie, what would you do with your time? I would probably 
I guess I would have to find a way to like make money because I would need money from now to the end of time, unfortunately. Yeah. What is it with all these vampires that are somehow very wealthy? Yeah. Well, I mean, in Twilight, they're able to get really wealthy because they have a vampire on their team that can like predict the future. So they know like what things to bet on and what they were investing in Apple in in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Um, they knew when to buy into Google stock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I, uh, but okay. So like that aside, like, let's say like I'm living forever and I have enough money to live forever. I would just like, I, I, I think I would be happy for a while. Cause I wouldn't feel like something that I struggle with is that, am I wasting time? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've started to feel this more now that I'm like sliding closer to 40. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I just feel like I've taken too many days to rest or like I, oh, I didn't do anything this weekend, but like sleep in, but I also did that last weekend. I, I'm wasting my time. Like I'm going to, you know, turn 37 and like I, nothing's changed from last year. And so I think I would feel less anxious that way for sure. But I would just want to like, I don't know, write, travel, mm-hmm. read all the books I could read. Okay. I don't know if I can live forever and uh, I don't know. I think I would just become like not a literal ninja, but like that kind of feel of like slipping in, doing something and then slipping out. (laughs) Yeah. Like sort of your own sort of like cryptid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I would somehow like figure out a way to get in good with Elon Musk and then take him down from the inside. Ooh, yeah. Do some like vigilante shit. Yeah. 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 (laughs) corporate vigilante that feels kind of like um i didn't actually like watch all of this yet but like follow the house of usher how Mm -hmm. the one character in it is like taking everyone down but that's because it's part of the deal Mm -hmm. there's more Mm -hmm. to it than that but she's sort of like a a ghostly figure yeah Um, yeah yeah good show by the way you should finish it yeah which i was gonna say that that show could always you know, sort of tie in with this, like, what if you have all these blessings? Like, would you use them for good or would you be a dickhead with them? And, you know, <laughs> obviously that that whole family chose the path of the dickhead. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I want to take a moment to talk about Stephen Tobolowsky. Oh, let's do. I've got a couple of things that I would like to speak. Of he is like him. one of the hardest working actors out there. He's so great. If you have no idea who we're talking about, like Google him right now, unless you're driving. (laughs) Don't drive and Google with your phone. We guarantee you have seen him in something. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, Stephen Toblowski. So he plays Ned Ryerson in this movie. You know, needle nose Ned, Ned the head. I started looking up. So I was Googling last night because I thought about it and I was like, did Bill actually go to high school with Ned or did Ned just spot him because he recognizes Phil from the news? Because we do see some people like who watch the news on that channel recognize him. So he has a recognizable face. Did Ned recognize him from the news and then just sort of like make up this whole thing as a sales pitch because he's a sales, an insurance salesman? Oh, kind of like uh, pulling a talented Mr. Ripley and being like, hey, didn't we go to college together when like, no, they didn't go to college together. Yeah, because either way, you sort of like have an in because either that person is going to be like polite and be like, oh, yeah, I remember you because they don't want to make you feel bad or they're going to be like, sorry, I don't remember you or that wasn't me. And then you still have like the beginning of the conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and he's an insurance salesman. So he's he's looking to pitch, you know, he's looking to start a conversation or a relationship with a person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I was kind of like, did he ever actually know Ned? Or was that all bullshit? So I was, so anyways, I was Googling that. I was Googling, did Phil actually know who Ned was? And while I was Googling that, I came across this, I don't know, insane, but sort of not insane theory that I've never read before about this movie. And it's that Ned Ryerson is the devil in Groundhog Day. Oh my God. Have you ever heard that? No. (laughs) So 
the way that the um, theory goes is that the time loop trap doesn't actually like start until the moment that Phil, like the first moment that they see one another, they have the conversation in the street and then like Phil sort of dismisses Ned and like, you know, steps into the puddle Mm -hmm. and Ned teases them. Like that's when the devil is punishing him because for his like selfishness and his self-centeredness. Like it's a test. Yeah. The test. Exactly. Mm. Sort of like, uh, I guess like the witch and beauty and the beast. (laughs) I was going to say, is it truly the devil or is it maybe it's like almost it's like the ghost and God, Carol, Christmas Carol comes up again. But like, <laughs> it doesn't feel like he would it would be the devil that would be doing that. I feel like the devil would want him to continue being awful. Yeah, I don't know. So I feel like there's a little flaw in the actual like, I, I like the idea that Ned is some kind of not human other real force. Yeah. Is he like a is he like a like ghost of Christmas past or is he like a is he an angel? What is he? <laughs> yeah. Angel angel to some, demons to others. I guess. Yeah. That's a hellraiser reference. <laughs> <laughs> I also I was gonna say I could also um I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie Bedazzled with Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley? No. Oh my god, I freaking love that movie. It's hilarious. You should watch it sometime so we could do a podcast about it. Not really to spoil anything, but there's sort of this idea that like maybe what if God and the devil are all working on the same side, really? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of makes me think of that. But and obviously this movie was made way before Bedazzle. Bedazzle came out in like early 2000s, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I was reading, I was reading about this, um, this theory that Ned is the devil and he's punishing Phil for being a jackass. Mm -hmm. And like some people were sort of saying like, well, it sort of um, disparages the ending because he's not necessarily like choosing to be a better person. He's just manipulated into it because like the devil is essentially just torturing him and he's paying penance. Mm -hmm. which i don't know about that i don't i i was like well maybe it's less torture and maybe more of an opportunity to examine his actions and who he is let's reframe that in a coaching mindset uh (laughs) (laughs) is it truly a punishment or is it an opportunity (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um yeah interesting interesting theory it's right up there with uh cameron uh in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Ferris is actually a figment of Cameron's imagination. As I love that theory. I, I do really too. Do. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to bring up about Stephen Tobolowsky is that, did you know, Kate, that Stephen Tobolowsky was the inspiration for the name of the band Radiohead? No, I didn't know that. Okay. So... I learned, I first learned this when I used to listen to the Nerdist podcast. Mm-hmm. He sort of told this story on Nerdist. Um, and then I also found this again. You, you can find it on Reddit when Stephen Tobolowsky did an AMA. Um, so, you know, I'm citing my sources. Mm-hmm. But um, when Stephen Tobolowsky was in college and he was with his girlfriend I guess girlfriend at the time I don't think it's his wife now but his girlfriend at the time who's named Beth he was telling her like oh I can hear like psychic tones coming from people's heads and I can tell them about their lives so she decides that they can use this as a cash grab so they start charging people a dollar for him to like do a psychic reading for them. And he does it for a while. And then it's like not very fun because he ends up telling people bad things about their life and like upsetting them and making them sad. So, and then it started freaking him out. He stopped doing it. So then like 15 years later, he is having a barbecue in his backyard with David Byrne from Mm -hmm. Talking Heads. They had Mm -hmm. just shot a music, part of a music video at his place. And then they decided to barbecue and hang. And then he was telling... David Byrne about his like college experiences, giving people psychic readings and hearing tones. That's what he keeps referring it, uh, mm-hmm. to it as hearing tones. So he said, uh, I mean, I'm going to read this straight from the AMA. So he says, I told David the story of my college days. 
In the rewrite of True Stories, David added a character that could hear tones and wrote the song Radiohead for that character to sing. In 1991, a few years after the movie True Stories was released, a British band called On a Friday changed their name to Radiohead because they were big fans of David Byrne. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that like wild? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I knew Radiohead had changed their name because of a David Byrne song. Yeah. And you know production um i did not know that that production was based off of <laughs> steven toblowski yeah okay well good for him wild right yeah yeah what a what a cool guy yeah and like i said hard working actor he shows up he's got 170 no sorry he's got 291 credits as an actor damn of just little things he's been in um one of my favorite things to think about, uh, he was in um, Thelma and Louise. He plays one of the investigators uh, tracking them. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is one of the biggest roles he's ever had. I remember him being in Glee in the first season. Yeah, he's the old Glee teacher, Sandy. Uh, Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. He Who gets accused of some not great behavior mm-hmm. and ends up having to quit. But he has this really funny line that made me laugh every time. Where um, someone says, who is Josh Groban? And he says, who is Josh Groban? Kill yourself. <laughs> he does. He has this this great way of delivering lines that you remember, even though his character is not that big. <laughs> yeah. He, he, yeah. He just always plays these like great characters. He's a great, he's, he's a character actor. He's great. Mm-hmm. We, we always love a character actor. Mm-hmm. Done a lot of voice work, a lot of bit parts, a lot of comedy. Um, yeah, in fact, I just I've been rewatching some of Archer and I forgot that he voices Lana's husband at one point. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot he was on Silicon Valley, too, which was pretty funny. Until like this has now season. become a Stephen Tobolowsky uh, uh, career recap on this episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, welcome to our Stephen Tobolowsky uh, appreciation podcast. Yeah, I'm your well, host. You know, if we did <laughs> if we did an episode on every acting job he's had, that would be 290 plus episodes. So, you know. <laughs> We should we should actually we should start a um Steven Toblowski spin-off podcast. We could call it like the Steto Hour. Steve <laughs> Steven Tobloski Hour. I was thinking of the uh Toblowski zone. Toblowski zone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I well, like Katie, that. <laughs> I, I know we are coming to the end of our time on this episode. Uh, any mm-hmm. other thoughts on, on Groundhog Day? Anything you want to leave the, the listeners with? My one other thought that I thought that I think is kind of cool this movie about this movie is that it sort of changed our vernacular a little bit um whenever we refer to like time loops or time loop movies mm-hmm. we sort of say like oh it's like a groundhog day mm-hmm. there have been a lot of stories that are similar to this like Palm Springs that came out a few years ago with Andy yeah. Samberg Happy Death Day different shows and have done like some sort of version of that stuff so you know this i think this movie is great unique and really a big part of the zeitgeist well you know it was put into um the the library of congress put it in the vault because they deemed it to be that important so we'll take it yeah that's awesome (laughs) uh what about you kate anything else um, you know, it's one of those that I like to go back to. Um, Harold Ramis was a genius. I love the fact that this movie is also, by the way, a, a local connection. Um, it was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois. Um, yeah. So just just outside of Chicago, um, and actually just outside of Wilmette, where Bill Murray lives. And maybe we should close the episode with my uh, six degrees of separation from Bill Murray story. Okay. Yes. So my mom went to Regina Dominican High which was a Catholic all-girls school. And one of her teachers, they had nuns and they had lay people as teachers, but one of her teachers was a nun, Sister Mary Murray. And that (laughs) was Bill Murray's sister. Of course. So my mom was in high school when SNL first, you know, first aired with Bill Murray as part of the cast. And she tells the story of coming to school and everyone knowing that Sister Mary Murray's brother was Bill Murray. (laughs) And naturally, as a nun, like she was kind of like, mm, we don't need to talk about this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's my my mom was taught by Bill Murray's sister. And my mom can also tell you stories about like 
when the Murray brothers, Brian Doyle Murray and Bill, and Bill Murray and other Murray brothers, because it was a big ass family, uh, worked at the golf course and the shenanigans they got down into, um, which later became the foundation for Caddyshack. <laughs> I was going to say, did that inspire Caddyshack? Yes, 100% <laughs> inspired Caddyshack. <laughs> You know what? It's so funny because I was saying last night that it's fun to live here now in Chicago and out in the Midwest because I see all these locations of like these uh, early 90s, late 80s comedies that I loved as a kid that were shot in or around Chicago. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, now I know where this is. I don't know. It's kind of like a goofy just little thing that I love about. Oh, Adventures in Babysitting is one of my favorite examples of that. It's like, oh my gosh, I walk past that building all the time. The company that I got my first job at is now located in that building. (laughs) Yeah. I always refer to it as the vagina building, but (laughs) I don't know what it's really called. (laughs) I forget who called it that to me the first time. And I was like, vagina building. Got it. (laughs) sorry if you have no idea what we're fucking talking about (laughs) but all right on that note on that vagina building note note, please hang out with us uh in between episodes and follow us on instagram and threads we're at sp cinema club um i post there every now and then and then also don't forget to uh rate review the podcast if you've never done that give us a follow it helps other people find the podcast and let them know it's cool. Um, I don't know. We love you. I like. I just get emotional at the end of every episode. <laughs> Groundhog Day is a film full of emotion. It's fine. Yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening um, to our babble and banter. And hopefully you learned some new things. Yeah. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode. We are getting close to Valentine's Day, so we're getting excited to talk more rom-coms and and things like that. So uh, be sure to join us. Yeah, and I really want to make an episode about The Notebook and just shit all over it. So So stay um, tuned. Yeah, (laughs) if you're into that, you should hit me up and let me know what your thoughts are. And if you're not into that, sorry. Maybe skip that episode. (laughs) Yeah. But all right. Anyways, have a good week, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.